Article 1 of A Treatise on the Power and Primacy of the Pope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Treatise on the Power and Primacy of the Pope by Philip Melanchthon, translated by F. Bente and W. H. T. Dow. A Treatise on the Power and Primacy of the Pope. Treatise compiled by the theologians assembled at small called 1537. The Roman pontiff claims for himself, in the first place, that by divine right he is supreme above all bishops and pastors in all Christendom. Secondly, he adds also that by divine right he has both swords, that is, the authority also of bestowing kingdoms, enthroning and deposing kings, regulating secular dominions, and so forth. And thirdly, he says that to believe this is necessary for salvation, and for these reasons the Roman bishop calls himself, and boasts that he is, the vicar of Christ on earth. These three articles we hold to be false, godless, tyrannical, and quite pernicious to the church. Now, in order that our proof, reason, and opinion may be better understood, we shall first define what they call being above all, what it means that he boasts of being supreme by divine right. For they mean that he is universal, that the Pope is the general bishop over the entire Christian church, or, as they say, ecumenical bishop, that is, from whom all bishops and pastors throughout the entire world ought to seek ordination and confirmation, who alone is to have the right of electing, ordaining, confirming, deposing all bishops and pastors. Besides this, he arrogates to himself the authority to make all kinds of laws concerning acts of worship, concerning changing the sacraments, and concerning doctrine, and wishes his articles, his decrees, his laws, his statutes and ordinances, to be considered equal to the divine laws, to other articles of the Christian creed and the Holy Scriptures. That is, he holds that by the papal laws the consciences of men are so bound that those who neglect them, even without public offense, sin mortally, that they cannot be omitted without sin. For he wishes to found this power upon divine right and the Holy Scriptures. Yea, he wishes to have it preferred to the Holy Scriptures and God's commands. And what he adds is still more horrible, namely, that it is necessary to believe all these things in order to be saved. All these things shall and must be believed at the peril of forfeiting salvation. In the first place, therefore, let us show from the Holy Gospel that the Roman bishop is not by divine right above, cannot arrogate to himself any supremacy whatever, over other bishops and pastors. 1. Luke 22.25 Christ expressly prohibits lordship among the apostles, that no apostle should have any supremacy over the rest. For this was the very question, namely, that when Christ spake of his passion, they were disputing who should be at the head, and, as it were, the vicar of the absent Christ. There Christ reproves this error of the apostles and teaches that there shall not be lordship or superiority among them, but that the apostles should be set forth as equals to the common ministry of the gospel. Accordingly, he says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, 
and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors, but ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. The antithesis here shows, by holding these matters against one another, he sees that one lordship among the apostles is disapproved. 2. Matthew 18, 2. The same is taught by the parable when Christ, in the same dispute concerning the kingdom, places a little child in the midst, signifying that among ministers there is not to be sovereignty, just as a child neither takes nor seeks sovereignty for himself. 3. John twenty twenty one, Christ sends forth his disciples on an equality, without any distinction, so that no one of them was to have more or less power than any other when he says, As my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. These words are clear and plain. He says that he sends them individually in the same manner as he himself was sent. Hence he grants to no one a prerogative or lordship above the rest. 4. Galatians 2, 7 and following. St. Paul manifestly affirms that he was neither ordained nor confirmed and endorsed by Peter nor does he acknowledge Peter to be one from whom confirmation should be sought, and he expressly contends concerning this point that his call does not depend upon the authority of Peter. But he ought to have acknowledged Peter as a superior if Peter was superior by divine right, if Peter, indeed, had received such supremacy from Christ. Paul, accordingly, says that he had at once preached the gospel freely for a long time, without consulting Peter. Also, of those who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person, and they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Since Paul then clearly testifies that he did not even wish to seek for the confirmation of Peter, for permission to preach, even when he had come to him, he teaches that the authority of the ministry depends upon the word of God, and that Peter was not superior to the other apostles, and that it was not from this one individual, Peter, that ordination or confirmation was to be sought, that the office of the ministry proceeds from the general call of the apostles, and that it is not necessary for all to have the call or confirmation of this one person, Peter, alone. 5. In 1 Corinthians 3.6, Paul makes ministers equal, and teaches that the church is above the ministers. Hence, superiority or lordship over the church or the rest of the ministers is not ascribed to Peter in preference to other apostles. For he says thus, All things are yours, whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas. That is, let neither the other ministers nor Peter assume for themselves lordship or superiority over the church. Let them not burden the church with traditions. Let not the authority of any avail more than the word of God. Let not the authority of Cephas be opposed to the authority of the other apostles, as they reasoned at that time. Cephas, who is an apostle of higher rank, observes this. Therefore, both Paul and the rest ought to observe this. Paul removes this pretext from Peter, and denies, Not so, says Paul, and makes Peter doff his little hat, namely the claim, 
that his authority is to be preferred to the rest or to the church. 6. The Council of Nicaea resolved that the Bishop of Alexandria should administer the churches in the East, and the Roman Bishop the suburban, that is, those who were in the Roman provinces in the West. From this start by a human law, that is, the resolution of the council, the authority of the Roman bishop first arose. If the Roman bishop already had the superiority by divine law, it would not have been lawful for the council to take any right from him and transfer it to the bishop of Alexandria. Nay, all the bishops of the East ought perpetually to have sought ordination and confirmation from the bishop of Rome. 7. Again, the Council of Nicaea determined that bishops should be elected by their own churches, in the presence of some neighboring bishop or of several. The same was observed for a long time not only in the East, but also in the West and in the Latin churches, as Cyprian and Augustine testify. For Cyprian says in his fourth letter to Cornelius, Accordingly, as regards the divine observance and apostolic practice, you must diligently keep and practice what is also observed among us, and in almost all the provinces, that for celebrating ordination properly, whatsoever bishops of the same province live nearest should come together with the people for whom a pastor is being appointed. And the bishop should be chosen in the presence of the people, who most fully know the life of each one, which we also have seen done among us at the ordination of our colleague Sabinus that by the suffrage of the entire brotherhood, and by the judgment of the bishops who had assembled in their presence, the episcopate was conferred and hands laid on him. Cyprian calls this custom a divine tradition and an apostolic observance, and affirms that it is observed in almost all the provinces. Since, therefore, neither ordination nor confirmation was sought from a bishop of Rome in the greater part of the world in the Latin and Greek churches, it is sufficiently apparent that the churches did not then accord superiority and domination to the bishop of Rome. Such superiority is impossible, for it is impossible for one bishop to be the overseer of the churches of the whole world, or for churches situated in the most distant lands to seek ordination for all their ministers from one. For it is manifest that the kingdom of Christ is scattered throughout the whole world, and today there are many churches in the East which do not seek ordination or confirmation from the Roman bishop, which have ministers ordained neither by the Pope nor his bishops. Therefore, since such superiority, which the Pope, contrary to all scripture, arrogates to himself, is impossible, and the churches in the greater part of the world have not acknowledged nor made use of it, it is sufficiently apparent that it was not instituted by Christ, and does not spring from divine law. 8. Many ancient synods have been proclaimed and held in which the bishop of Rome did not preside, as that of Nicaea and most others. This, too, testifies that the church did not then acknowledge the primacy or superiority of the bishop of Rome. 9. Jerome says, if the question is concerning authority, the world is greater than the city. Wherever there has been a bishop, whether at Rome, or Eugubium, or Constantinople, or Regium, or Alexandria, he is of the same dignity and priesthood. 10. 
Gregory, writing to the patriarch at Alexandria, forbids that he be called universal bishop. And in the records, he says that in the council of Chalcedon, the primacy was offered to the bishop of Rome, but was not accepted. 11. Lastly, how can the Pope be over the entire Church by divine right, when the Church has the election, and the custom gradually prevailed that bishops of Rome were confirmed by the emperors? Also, when for a long time there had been contests concerning the primacy between the bishops of Rome and Constantinople, the emperor Phocius finally determined that the primacy should be assigned to the bishop of Rome. But if the ancient church had acknowledged the primacy of the Roman pontiff, this contention could not have occurred, neither would there have been need of the decree of the emperor. But they cite against us certain passages, namely Matthew 16:18 and following, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Also, I will give unto thee the keys. Also John 21:15, Feed my sheep, and some others. But since this entire controversy has been fully and accurately treated elsewhere in the books of our theologians, and everything cannot be reviewed in this place, we refer to those writings, and wish them to be regarded as repeated. Yet we shall reply briefly concerning the interpretation of the passages quoted. In all these passages, Peter is the representative of the entire assembly of apostles, and does not speak for himself alone, but for all the apostles, as appears from the text itself. For Christ asks not Peter alone, but says, Whom do ye say that I am? And what is here said to Peter alone, in the singular number, I will give unto thee the keys, and whatsoever thou shalt bind, and so forth, is elsewhere expressed to their entire number, in the plural, Matthew 18:18, 18, 18, whatsoever ye shall bind, and so forth, and in John 20:23, 20, whosesoever sins ye remit, and so forth. These words testify that the keys are given alike to all the apostles, and that all the apostles are alike sent forth to preach. In addition to this, it is necessary to acknowledge that the keys belong not to the person of one particular man, but to the church, as many most clear and firm arguments testify. For Christ, speaking concerning the keys, adds, Matthew 18:19, If two or three of you shall agree on earth, and so forth. Therefore he grants the keys principally and immediately to the church, just as also for this reason the church has principally the right of calling. For just as the promise of the gospel belongs certainly and immediately to the entire church, so the keys belong immediately to the entire church, because the keys are nothing else than the office whereby this promise is communicated to everyone who desires it, just as it is actually manifest that the church has the power to ordain ministers of the church. And Christ speaks in these words, Whatsoever ye shall bind, and so forth, and indicates to whom he has given the keys, namely to the church, where two or three are gathered together in my name. Likewise, Christ gives supreme and final jurisdiction to the church when he says, Tell it unto the church. Therefore it is necessary that in these passages Peter is the representative of the entire assembly of the apostles, and for this reason they do not accord to Peter any prerogative or superiority 
or lordship which he had, or was to have had, in preference to the other apostles. However, as to the declaration, Upon this rock I will build my church, certainly the church has not been built upon the authority of man, but upon the ministry of the confession which Peter made, in which he proclaims that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He accordingly addresses him as a minister, upon this rock, that is, upon this ministry. Therefore he addresses him as a minister of this office in which this confession and doctrine is to be in operation, and says, Upon this rock, that is, this preaching and ministry. Furthermore, the ministry of the New Testament is not bound to places and persons as the Levitical ministry, but it is dispersed through the whole world, and is there where God gives his gifts, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. Neither does this ministry avail on account of the authority of any person, but on account of the word given by Christ. Nor does the person of a teacher add anything to this word and office. It matters not who is preaching and teaching it. If there are hearts who receive and cling to it, to them it is done as they hear and believe. And in this way, not as referring to the person of Peter, most of the Holy Fathers, as Origen, Cyprian, Augustine, Hilary, and Bede, interpret this passage upon this rock. Chrysostom says thus, Upon this rock, not upon Peter, for he built his church not upon man, but upon the faith of Peter. But what was his faith? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Hilary says, To Peter the Father revealed that he should say, Thou art the Son of the living God. Therefore the building of the church is upon this rock of confession. This faith is the foundation of the church. And as to that which is said, John 21, 15 and following, Feed my sheep, and Lovest thou me more than these, it does not as yet follow hence that a peculiar superiority was given Peter. He bids him feed, that is, teach the word, the gospel, or rule the church with the word, the gospel, which Peter has in common with the other apostles. End of Article 1 Recording by Jonathan Lang